Thanks for joining Impact Boom. On this episode... The interesting thing is that it's not necessarily that it's setting social enterprises up to win these things and private enterprises not. What actually happens is private enterprises are more likely to think about how they can include the community benefit Mm. in their contracts. Even if they don't use a social enterprise, they're always thinking about how it is that they can do better. And society wins. Welcome to impactboom.org. We search the globe to find the people, stories, ideas, and inspiration to help you create maximum positive impact. Each week, Impact Boom brings you thought-provoking interviews with world-leading practitioners passionate about creating positive social change. These designers, social entrepreneurs, educators, innovators, thinkers, and doers share their projects, initiatives, thoughts, and insights on creating a better world. You can find all the stories, links, and other great content at impactboom.org. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter for the latest updates, or subscribe to the newsletter or on iTunes. Thanks for listening to episode 391 of Impact Boom. My name's Tom Allen, and I'm passionate about bringing you the latest interviews and insights to help you create positive social impact. Today, we're speaking with Chris M.M. Gordon. Chris M.M. Gordon is the CEO of the Irish Social Enterprise Network, a national body for social enterprise in Ireland. The network, set up in 2013, aims to point people in the right direction to get their idea off the ground or their organisation to the next level. In addition, Chris is also a managing partner of Collaboration Ireland, a project director of Social Enterprise Exchange, and an adjunct teaching fellow of Trinity Business School in Dublin. Chris also volunteers as the chair of Far and Wild Social Enterprise. So on today's podcast, we'll discuss Chris's diverse experience in social enterprise in Ireland, with key lessons being shared for social entrepreneurs, and we'll get Chris's thoughts and perspective on the social enterprise landscape in Ireland. So Chris, it's an absolute pleasure to have you here. Thanks very much for joining us. Here's Tom. Thanks so much for having me on. Chris, kicking things off, I'd love to learn a little bit more about your background and what it was that led to this passion of yours in social enterprise. Yeah, no, it's good. I got, I suppose, a good start in life. My folks were both teachers in special needs. So dealing with young people, mild, moderate, severe learning difficulties and physical disabilities. And I remember just being teachers and just growing up around their passion for doing this. And so much of these things start off with your family, right? And things that happen to you as you go along. And I was just fortunate to work with good people when I was in college and I fell into the same circles where I found other people who were also involved in teaching or outdoor facilitation and got involved in youth work. And I presume that all leads back to having good, strong parents who instilled all those values in me from the start. Yeah, absolutely. It's a funny one. That's absolutely a consistent point we hear in the interviews is that upbringing and the strong role of parenting, right? Listen, we get this nature-nurture thing all the time. It's really important that this stuff rubs off. And it's important that I think people are aware of the values that they'd like to keep for the rest of their life and the experiences that come across that they have been involved in. It's interesting that people have good experiences when they're growing up with other people who may not necessarily have had the best starts in life or some of the things that have put them in a situation where they're not as lucky as other people. Mm. Um, it's really important that the right values and being able to be taught by that. I'm just very fortunate to have good parents at the time that really set me on the straight and narrow and 
and great experiences growing up. This is the whole thing about social enterprise. It's the stuff that's hidden that everybody always knew about in the past, that there was always something that was a better way. It didn't have to be so binary about like charity or social enterprise could do well and do good. It didn't have to be corporate profit making and social enterprise really sits in that middle. I think learning from good people doing good work, for example, teachers teaching special needs, then I suppose it just shows you that there's another world out there that isn't just binary. Yeah, that's such a great point there, Chris. And you are the CEO of the Irish Social Enterprise Network. So obviously some great experience in the space. So what are your observations then of this social enterprise movement in Ireland at the moment? I'd be fascinated to talk to you about the Australian movement, but I know in Ireland, it's been a long enough road. We always have these things in Ireland. I think, you know, Ireland is 10 years behind our partners in the UK and other places sometimes. But in 2019, we had a policy that came out from government and it was a real moment for us where social enterprise was given a definition and some backing by government. I think we leapfrogged a whole host of different countries by simply this first draft or first shot at being able to establish what is social enterprise in Ireland. Uh, I've seen an awful lot of good people getting on with it and doing good work despite government support. And then suddenly we had a policy that labeled these people, shone a spotlight. And then suddenly we had stronger community, stronger policy alignment. There was an awful lot more resources put towards social enterprise specifically and yeah. named as such. And it just changed the dynamic. I, I was just saying there, we give government a hard time sometimes because oftentimes they deserve it. But Sometimes they're the ones that can be real catalysts, moved by the people that support the government. But in this instance, they've stepped up to the plate and they've said, yeah, we recognize this is something that is a benefit to us in the Irish government and to the wider society, and we're going to support it. And it was a little bit late in doing so. We got there. Better late than never. Yeah. Oh, actually, the other thing as well, because obviously we're in Ireland, we're not the UK. We obviously didn't do Brexit. And congratulations. This is a tough moment there. But we have European connections. And I think one of the things that has happened in Ireland is a stronger connection with our European partners. I know in Ireland, for us, our real growth has been through our connections through Europe. And one of those things had been the Social Economy Action Plan. So this language isn't just Ireland, it's now European and now global. I think it was, there was a resolution in the UN recently for yes, social enterprise just last social week. support. I, have we ever had this before? Transformative. I think we're doing the social enterprise piece ourselves and trying to figure out who we are and what we're doing, but we're heavily influenced by others that are already leading the way in other countries too. Mm. The one last thing I'd say is it's complicated. On the face of it, you can go out and you can say, oh, we'll just do these things and it'll be fine. Yeah. But it's so interlinked. There's so many different types of pieces that are really important as part of the landscape. They're not easy. If they had been, we'd we'd probably have done them by now, you know? Yeah, absolutely. It's a great point in terms of just the huge importance, I believe at least, of that systems-led approach. It's not Mm -hmm. just the government. It's not just the policy. It's all of these other areas, almost like a wicked problem. They all play together. And without us addressing them all, we're just not going to see that change we need to see. They are complex. As you said, there's the wicked problem. And in an awful lot of them, 
I think there's so many partners and community groups and entities that need to be involved to make it a success that it could become unwieldy and we need people who are there who just stay the course. And I think there's a yeah. level of persistence that's necessary. Yeah. You need to stay the course to see it through. The quick wins aren't so quick anymore. These are more longer term issues that need to be dealt with on a better timescale to change minds and, and to get people on board. That's a great point in it being a marathon more than a sprint. But I know you've touched on this briefly now, but I'm keen to hear uh-huh. really how it is that you've seen the social enterprise landscape change. So beyond just, for example, the formation of that policy and the sort of catalytic effect it had, but how have you seen it change both in Ireland and further afield? And where do you see key opportunities to grow the movement? This is touching on possibly my favourite topic in the world. I always label this as maybe perhaps the most boring topic in the English language. I think the most boring (laughs) word in the English language. I need everybody to just be mindful when you're listening to this podcast. The word is procurement and it is transformative. (laughs) I hope I can make this slightly interesting, but anybody who's been bamboozled by this and they think that it's the most ridiculous thing in the world, I just want a couple of things about it. Procurement, I believe, could be one of the game changers for us in Ireland here for our social enterprise movement and for the wider general movement. And it just generally means that when you're purchasing something, so Tom is going out for a 100,000 widgets. I don't know what widgets are. Accountants love them. And, you know, you're looking for a 100,000 of them. You go out to tender and you go and ask for people to be able to say, can you provide these at a particular cost? Yeah. Let's say there's two organizations make the final, right? One of them is a social enterprise and one is a private enterprise. Yeah. They're like for like, time, quality, value, equal, just totally equal, just absolutely perfectly the same. Who should win that tender? Now, I'm biased. I presume you're biased too, Tom. <laughs> I believe a social enterprise should win, right? Yeah. But is that legal? Can it be done? And the answer is yes. And apart from the fact that it can be done anyway, because that decision can be made by those people who are procuring. In Ireland, we're fighting for and have included, and the Europeans in certain areas have included these clauses. And it just means that in addition to marking you for your tender on time, quality, value, etc., we're also asking you to mark yourself on how you think that you can benefit the community as a result of you winning this tender. It just means that if I give this to you, how do people benefit? Now, the lowest hanging fruit of that is getting people off the social welfare lines or employing people that are socially excluded or marginalized. The harder piece is supply chain. So getting social enterprises who are selling things to sell them into the supply chain. This is transformative. And there's a reason why it is transformative. When you go to tender, like you're a citizen of your government, like I am of mine, I want them to purchase and use our tax dollars, tax euro and so when the government is purchasing something i want them to do the best they possibly can absolutely and they can include these clauses in everything and it just solves an awful lot more issues the interesting thing is that it's not necessarily that it's setting social enterprises up to win these things and private enterprises not what actually happens is private enterprises are more likely to think about how they can include the community benefit Mm. in their contracts even if they don't use a social enterprise they're always thinking about how it is that they can do better. Yeah. And society wins. So I think procurement and our bi-social movement that we have in Ireland, our bi-social IRL movement, 
really is about trying to get social enterprises to encourage them to sell products and services and get them into the supply chains and try and figure out how it is that they can win these tenders themselves or as part of a, a consortium or in the supply chain of a larger entity that could win. But isn't that the world we want to live in? If you have an opportunity to buy a coffee, you can purchase it from, I am totally out of my mind now, I can't remember any coffee places in Australia, apologies to my Australian <laughs> friends, but in Ireland, you can purchase it from a Starbucks yeah. or an Insomnia or something like that, right? Now, great, go ahead, go do that. That's fine, perfectly valid companies. But you can purchase from a social enterprise like Pace's Mugshots Cafe, which is a coffee cart, which is <laughs> helping ex-prisoners, people involved in probation, giving them an opportunity and a second chance to be able to have a career and a mm. meaningful wage and a meaningful life by a lower barrier to entry job, in this case, coffee. I just wanted to say that it's the best name in the world for a coffee place that works with people from Justice and Probation called Mugshots, which I love. You, so you can buy your coffee from anywhere. Why not buy it from them? That's the real message that we're trying to talk about here. If it doesn't matter to you, then why wouldn't you even quote from a social enterprise? Because exactly. you know that it's going to affect lives. It's going to positively impact people. And we just live in a society where I want to be that type of person who can rely on government and companies and whatever to do the right thing. Yeah. And it doesn't mean to change their entire setup where they get their coffee from. But it makes a huge difference to our social enterprise community. It really does. And it just makes sense. Like, why not just invest in something that's going to provide strong social, environmental, cultural sort of returns, right? So in, yes. if we just shift a little bit away from procurement uh -huh. and really focus on founders, the, these social entrepreneurs themselves, Chris, what advice would you be giving those are the listeners out there who are looking to grow their enterprise. And at the same time, where have you observed some common pitfalls? Great question. We, just to say, our social enterprise network runs the National Social Enterprise Helpline. And I suppose we deal with calls every day from pre-startup, startup and established enterprises. And there's an awful lot of similar things come up. I think the two main questions I get is where is the register for social enterprise, which there is none. So yep. you can register yourself, just call yourself. And then what's the legal form? People are always trying to figure out what that is. And in Ireland, it's a little bit trickier. I think there's a benefit to that. Essentially, we don't have a legal form for social enterprise. And so we approximate. There's lots of options that you could call a social enterprise. And so in Ireland, we specifically get the legal type question. I suppose just in general, a lot of the questions that we get asked, we put them into a document and it's called the social enterprise toolkit.ie and it's free to download for anybody in Ireland or globally. It's about 100 pages of essentially it's frequently asked questions that I get normally and we put them all into a, a toolkit to allow people to, you know, answer their own um, mm. questions as they're going along and then specifically reach out whenever they need help. A lot of things are, is around the legal type but the easiest thing in the world is to go and register a company set up a bank account set up a domain and have nice colors on your website that's the easiest thing to do and it's possibly the last thing that you do the much more important thing is to be aware about what legal types are out there because it's really important about funding and opportunity and what things can be funded but ultimately it's about a bad idea is never going to last the three years 
to break it out into something that'll grow. And so more time you spend really teasing out what that idea means, the better. <clears throat> so just a couple of examples. I suppose we constantly get asked about homelessness or we get asked about learning difficulties and opening cafes or there's lots of things that we get asked regularly. And the question we always put back is, if your thing didn't exist, which they presume it, it didn't, where would you go? What are the options? Mm. And then have you spoken to those organizations? For example, just as a wild example, just like homelessness, you have an idea for homelessness. In Dublin alone, there's about 18 homeless organizations and they all know their business. What is it that you think you can bring that'll be different to those that are already in the space yeah. and have you spoken to them? And there's a reason why we do this. It's not to put down your idea or anything. I have no control over whether something succeeds or fails. I passionately believe that people will find a way. But the issue is other funders who would fund your idea also fund those organizations. Yeah. And you got to know how you're different to those organizations. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a good thing. The other trick as well is collaboration. And I think to your listeners, I'm presuming everybody has gone down this path before, or certainly is you don't have to just set it up yourself. If you do come across an idea, something that you see isn't happening, you do your due diligence and your research, you realize there's an opening here. You could still go to the organizations that are already in that space. Why would you do that? Because the important thing is, do you want to own the impact? So it only happened because you did it, or do you want to see the impact happen? Mm. And those are two different questions. And if it's about the impact happen, you could go work for an organization. They can give you a salary day one and a project budget, and they'll go, what governance do you need? What support wraparound do you need? You'll do it under our banner, but go ahead, change the world. Or you have to register with the CRO, the company's registrations office. You need to set up with the charities regulator. You need to get a board. You need to raise the money. You need to do the pilot. You could just hit the ground running if you think a little bit more imaginatively. Do you need to call it the Chris Gordon Foundation or do you want to just see it happen? People are far more enthusiastic now about working with partners who have the expertise and the wraparound and it allows people to get a salary day one and not be scrimping for the first couple of years, yeah. figuring out where they're going to make their money while they're helping somebody in homelessness, potentially getting close to homelessness themselves mm -hmm. because they can't afford to keep the whole thing going. Yeah. And so, again, I think it's important. If you want to have that impact, uh, I would consider it not going alone. Really good points there, Chris, particularly when we talk about duplication. I think that's a huge issue in general, one at least to be wary of, but also ultimately at the root of what you're talking about now as well is probably ego and how do we get ego out of the way yeah. and i yeah and listen i get it tom how many times have you come across people that their genuine passion is they've seen a problem in the world and they want to change it you're so protective of your idea right yeah. so like i i get it i presume you get it you know why people are doing it it's not yeah. because people are so hung up on it we really are passionate about these things and we mm. want to make a difference and yeah. we see that something isn't going the way that we want it to go we think we can make a difference and we think that sometimes you got to do that alone there are good people out there who want to help make that change with you or or for you if you're not so protective mm. Mm. it's a great point shifting the focus then more globally chris what do you believe we need to do or what do you believe must happen to really mainstream this business for good movement <laughs> I, there's an awful lot of good movements in the world that I've definitely seen. I'm very fortunate to have been involved in the B Corp movement for so many years. Mm. And there's a rising B Corp movement here in Ireland 
not necessarily social enterprise, but social enterprise adjacent. We need more of those organizations because the more private organizations that are getting on board with the social enterprise principles, the better society will be. Yes. One of the reasons why I'm so passionate about the B Corp movement is that they're more likely to measure and understand that if they purchase from social enterprise or get engaged with more community and social things, that we'll be better as a society. And I, I find that some of the things that we need to be moving towards are prescient. A couple of things, like one of them is the world is burning. We don't have time anymore. Yeah. And we need good people doing good things and we need to have happen yesterday. And then there's all these influx. I suppose we've got a climate justice warrior in Mary Robinson, former president of Ireland, leading a global campaign about the impacts of climate change. And those are social problems and issues that we have a potential for a movement or a change. And those things are only going to get worse over the years. So we need to think about integration. We need to think about how we develop society. What's the society we want to live in? What happens when temperatures get a little too hot for people elsewhere or floods or disease or other things? And how do we make sure that people can feel like they can live in their own homes with meaningful careers and lives and develop consciously as for many of the positives that we have here in Ireland, we have some crises. Some of them, for example, homelessness. That's yeah. not right. We're yeah. a well-established country. Why is it that we've got homelessness? It's a scandal. I see a good couple of movements. Uh, European Union, I'm happily involved in the Social Economy Action Plan development with an awful lot of partners all across Europe. We've got an awful lot of European good people representing us in Europe on behalf of the Irish Social Enterprise Network and Social Enterprises here. And really, they're implying that directives can make a huge difference in procurement and all the things that we spoke about, the Green New Deal and things like that. Ireland has policy now for social enterprise. That's really important. Our main focus in the Irish Social Enterprise Network, though, is social enterprise by default. Like this, I think, is transformative. If In Ireland, for example, if you wanted to set up a business, there are supports available from the government. One of them is the local enterprise office. And so you knock on the door and you say, hey, I want to set up a business. If you say, I want to set up a social enterprise, before the last few years, people would have been turned away. Now there's an awful lot more support for some people knocking on that door in some areas of Ireland. And they realize it's a business. They're trying to sell products and services. What we want to do is when you're teaching people the start your own business course or you're helping them develop, we want them to be taught how to be a social enterprise by default. How do you measure your social and your environmental impact? How are you thinking about your diversity and inclusion? How are you measuring those things? What's the metrics in addition to finance and marketing and all those other things? And if you fall short of social and environmental impact measurement and all that sort of stuff, then you're a normal business. And that's great. Go ahead and be a normal business. That's fantastic. We need those. But what we really need is people who are changing the game. And social enterprises do that by default. That's their resting phase is to change the world. I'm starting to see it. I'm sure you're starting to see it. People are signing up to these better metrics, better for business type things. And I think social enterprises is the perfect showcase for all of those. How do you sell products and services, do well in the world and the planet, and then employ people who are socially excluded or marginalized or have some extra income that the community can benefit from as a result? All great points, Chris. And you, you speak about these game changers, these good people doing great things. Let's get tangible and just have a, a couple of quick examples of projects or initiatives that you've come across, which you believe are creating some great positive social change. Oh, and, ah, why would you? That's 
I'm going to get such rap for this now. I already spoke about pace and Maggie Clune is there actually won the European Network for Social Integrated Enterprises, European Social Enterprise Manager of the Year Award. What a title. So we've got really good leaders in the space in social enterprise. <clears throat> they do a number of things. One of them is that they do this mugshots, which they employ people who have been redirected from prison or yeah. are out from prison and are looking for reducing the recidivism rate, the rate at which people go back into prison by employing them. And it's generally low barrier to entry jobs. And so food is one of those. And the social enterprise they set up was Mugshots Cafe. So I spoke about that already. These are the interesting pieces. Just on that, by the way, they have yeah. this coffee cart. They have wood and steel workshops and they teach people and how to do metal work and woodwork and things. So they built this trailer, which now became the cafe that they roll around and the locations that they've rolled around to sell their coffee. I am not lying to you are the high court and the four courts and all the rest of it. Essentially, oh, these former prisoners are now selling coffee back to the magistrates that sent them away in the first instance, wow. which I just think is just beautiful. That is the circle of life right there. Yeah. King of There's one other thing I teach in Trinity, and, and so it's only on my mind because we had a project that we did with them recently is the Together Academy, which works with youth, young people with Down syndrome who have... Uh, only a 10% chance of being hired or in full-time employment after the age of 18. Wow. And so the Together Academy teaches them, trains them how to be the best in serving food in a cafe that they've done. And they do tons of other things. They've got a, a hamper box that they sell at Christmas and they do it in partnership with large multinationals and a whole host of things. There's some great examples. I would just urge anybody, uh, you don't have to listen to me and my examples. Uh, log on to buysocial.ie, B-U-Y social.ie and check out some examples of some incredible social enterprises that we have here in Ireland. That list is only growing and we're supported by the government to be able to provide that list. Anything you can think of under the sun and don't ever make me choose between all of the social enterprises again, I'll be shocked. <laughs> it's like trying to choose your favourite child, right? Absolutely. If I had 5,000 children, it's, uh... <laughs> That would be a worry. It would be a worry, it is true. <laughs> I'll take it all back. Chris, to finish off though, let's talk about some books and resources that you'd recommend to our listeners. I perhaps am not the best person to be able to, I have, a, I have an odd, I mostly read nonfiction. I'm fascinated by what makes other people tick. And I think one of the best books I've ever read had been Sapiens by Harari. I think that's the example of books that I would probably recommend. The wider you can see the world, if you can see that things are interconnected, it makes you less focused on the individual problem at hand and realize that these things are systemic. Those type of books and reading gives me the perspective that I need. And it can be unfortunate sometimes because all I want to do is argue, but I feel like most people, when something comes up and you feel passionate about it, but I feel like if people can read wider, then you're less likely to stick to your narrative. Mm. And I have this thing that I learned from younger, which is strong convictions loosely held. I will debate you to the end on whatever topic that I'm trying to think is brilliant until you convince me that you've got a better argument, in which case I will switch to your argument if it's better, right? Mm -hmm. I'm, yeah. It's a scientific method. I think we just need to consistently be better. I think if you can read wider, you'll realize that we don't have houses just because somebody decided we shouldn't build houses in Ireland. 
it's complex. It's a system and there's people involved. And when you get people involved, it becomes way more complicated. Mm -hmm. And so the more that you can understand people from their perspectives, I think the better and more successful I think you'll end up being and happier as well because you'll feel less frustrated by other people's intransigence. If you try and figure out what it is they're intransigent about or what's the thing that they're passionate about, it can lead to a better outcome. Chris, that's a fantastic note and insight to end the podcast on. So for the listeners out there, we will be putting links through to all of these great resources and initiatives that Chris has spoken about in the article on impactroom.org. So head along there and click on through. But Chris, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you again today. Thank you so much for your generous insights and time. And look, I'll look forward to sharing a pint with you sometime either in Ireland or somewhere over in Europe. It's been an absolute delight and pleasure. Thank you so much, Tom. And looking forward to welcoming you and any listener to Ireland again. I'm going to regret saying that, I hope. But we're looking forward to meeting you in person and debating these things. And uh, the conversation goes on. Thanks for listening to Impact Boom. You'll find links to the initiatives, people and resources mentioned in this podcast on impactboom.org. Please leave your comments below. And remember, we'll be publishing fresh inspiration and insights to help you create positive impact every week on the website, Facebook page, and Twitter.